listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, please take your Bible with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick it up right where we left off last week in verse 8 of Ephesians, of Ecclesiastes 5. And in this next chapter and a half, King Solomon, one of the wealthiest men who ever lived in the history of the earth, is going to give us two timeless truths about money and wealth and prestige. Now, when I say money, that's, it's a funny thing because if you're outside of the church context and you start talking about money, usually people perk up and it's like, oh yeah, or interesting, okay, like I want to learn about money, how to save money, how to make money, how to, how to get stuff with money, like invest it, all that. Like we're very interested in money outside of the church. But as soon as you talk about money inside of church, people don't usually perk up, they usually tense up. <laughs> Like, okay, here we go. I've heard all this before. Uh, I, 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 know, I know what they're going to say. I've heard, I've heard the same things a thousand different ways. And most of you could probably tell me how this goes, right? Well, money can't buy you happiness. Don't live for money. Also, at the same time, money isn't bad either. Uh, you know, God, God has given us this, and we're to be stewards of it. And we should use our money to invest in eternity, to, to bless others, to be generous, rather than wasting, wasting it on trivial things. Now, both of those things that we've all heard in church many times, both of those things are very, very true. But only one of them is found in the passage today that we're going to see from Ecclesiastes from King Solomon. Today's message is going to be very refreshing. I just want you to know that right up front. I'm excited about preaching this message. And Solomon does have two truths about money, but one of these truths is going to sound familiar, and the other one is not going to sound very familiar at all. Both of these are crucial, though, because you can't have one without the other. If you, if you only have one of them, you're not going to be balanced. And so you will also struggle to be satisfied until you understand both of these pieces. Both of these pieces in harmony, both of these truths in harmony with one another are something that a lot of people never learn. A lot of times we'll eventually learn one or the other, but you need to know both. And this goes for everyone. Those of you who are in school still, those of you who are very young and you're, and you're just trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, those of you who aren't in a career per se, you're, you're maybe leading a home and making a home. Everyone in here, we are going to talk about what you do with your toil and how you earn money and what that means. Um, because... You want to enjoy it, you want to be satisfied, but you have to have both. So the first of these truths is the most familiar one of the two, and it is as plain as day in, in, the, in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Look at this verse with me. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. All right, so there you go. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Now, to unpack this, I want to I wanna share a little personal story, okay? Some of you know this, some of you don't. But when I was young, I worked a lot of jobs, a lot of different jobs. I was saving up for college. Uh, but before I was ever even in middle school, I, I got a my first job with the Sterling Daily Gazette. It was, uh, it was a newspaper route. Does anybody ever remember that, where you used to have to throw newspapers at people's front door? They don't really do that anymore. But that's what I did when I was, I don't know, fourth, fifth grade. And, uh, and then, I, then I, when I was in seventh grade, there was a man in my church who, who asked me to come work for him on his farm. And so I started doing that. Um, I had no idea how great of 
great that would be for me. Um, but then when I was 16, I had another job. I started working at a golf course. And right before my senior year of high school, we moved. And so then I got another job at a place called McLean Midwest Grocery Distribution. And I say all of that to let you know that as I look back on it, God was pulling a lot of strings, doing a lot of different things to prepare me for full-time vocational ministry. And if you were to ask me back in high school, David, uh, what do you want to do? The last thing I would have probably ever told you was to be a pastor, to be in full-time ministry. You know, I, I just didn't have an interest in that. My dad was a pastor, and I, did, I wanted to do something else. Um, so I, I was already investing my hard-earned money at the time. And as I got that job at McLean Midwest, you know, I, I started using a lot of the skills that I had, I had just picked up. You know, as, as I was a young, a young man, I, I, I would say, you know, in high school, I, I loved finances, I loved managing things, I loved building things, I loved, like, pulling people together and doing things. Like, and I mean, as a high schooler, what do you, how, how can you even do that, right? I mean, will you start a fantasy football league before there's ever even fantasy football on the internet, right? And you have to like keep track of it through the newspaper and call people up for your transactions and collect the money and actually hand it out. Like all that stuff, it was hard being a manager back then. But I loved doing all those things. I wanted to put those things into practice. And I had this job at McLean Midwest where thankfully, by God's grace, in the summer of 2003, I was an eyewitness firsthand to this first truth that Solomon is talking about. I was rubbing shoulders with the operational managers as well as the full-case grocery selectors. And that was my title. I was a full-case grocery selector. I was the youngest one. I didn't look like the rest of the guys because I didn't have a beard belly, a, a, a beer belly and a beard. I was, I was younger than I am now, so I really looked like a baby. Uh, but, but here I was in this job, and I saw the guys who were the operational managers who had the job that I wanted and the salary I wanted one day. And I saw these other guys who were just the grunt laborers. You know, they didn't have the college degree, so they were uneducated, so to speak. And they were bitter about their lot in life. And I looked around and I saw, well, wait a minute. These guys over here who just, the workers who, who want more, who are unsatisfied, they're actually not much different than the people over here the business managers who were also unsatisfied. They have the salary I want, but they're still not happy. And they still hate their job for the most part. Uh, the money's nice, but it's not making them content. And so I looked and I saw that. And then I saw my dad. I saw my youth pastor, Peter Wright. I saw even just other men, godly men in my church who had factory jobs, who had much more joy and satisfaction in their life because they were living for Jesus Christ. And I was able to see then, as a high school student, wow, I don't need to pursue a career for money because money isn't going to make me happy. I need, to, I need to pursue what God has for me. And I'm thankful that by God's grace, I was fortunate enough to see that and see that striking difference between someone who loves God and is following Jesus and using their, using their toil, using their profession as a way to have a ministry compared with the people who are just doing it to gain wealth and to be satisfied and not finding that. So that was one of the factors that, that led me into changing my course and studying to be a pastor one day. There were, of course, individual conversations as well, but that definitely played a huge role. And this is the first truth that Solomon's going to break down. It's, it's point number one of two today. You won't find satisfaction from wealth and prestige. So, so back up again with me to verse 8. This is where we have to begin. Look at verse 8. Uh, Solomon's going to point out something here that is hard to swallow, yet it is a reality that we must accept. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, 
For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. What Solomon is saying is where there is money in abundance, you will always find injustice. You see that in verse 8, right there. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, don't be surprised by that. That's, it's sad to say it, but this is a feature of life. And you have, you know, the person who's working on the eighth floor is looking down at the person on the seventh floor, but they also have somebody up here on the ninth floor who is lording over them. And the person on the eighth and ninth floor also has those people way above them, the bureaucracy on the tenth floor. Then you have all these people below them. And as it trickles down, people can be taken advantage of and they can really feel the weight of it all. So whether it's Google, whether it's Nike, or whether it's the government, the fact of the matter is everyone reports to someone else and with more power comes more temptation. And in our fallen, sin-cursed world where there is money in abundance, you will find injustice. And verse 9 can be very confusing, but what Solomon is actually saying is a little easier understood in other translations. Other translations will say something like, Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. The point being that all wealth has its, if you trickle it down all the way to the root, it all comes from the earth. And even a king cannot gain wealth does not ultimately come from some resource on earth. And also in this respect, all humans are alike, and ultimately even the king is dependent on the common man. So we're all dependent on God's resources from the earth, and even the one who's at the highest is also dependent on those below him. So if you follow Solomon on this, he's setting up an important truth. If the higher rank oppress the lower, eventually it's going to be their loss because when they mistreat people and mishandle the situation with other people below them, that will mean that they actually miss out on that person producing more. You follow that? You see what Solomon is saying? So power breeds injustice. This side of eternity, where, where sin natures abound, you will have a lot of money. You are going to also have a violation of justice. Don't be amazed by that. But also know that they aren't going to get away with it. If someone is abusing their power, treating someone unjustly so they can gain more, eventually what goes around comes around. And that guy who is cracking the whip, he eventually is going to have to answer to someone else over them, and eventually it will catch up with them. If you mistreat people, if you use people, you're going to get diminishing returns. To put it another way, your sin will always find you out. And that's what Solomon is saying here in these two verses. No one gets away with it forever. There's going to come a day when all injustice is exposed. Because God is just and he will make sure of it. And these verses are also foreshadowing the rest of what Solomon is going to be saying. And it is that everything is connected, okay? Like, okay, the powerful person, they can actually abuse their power and treat someone unjustly. They're, they're dependent on the field too, okay? It's going to come back to them. It, it is connected. All those things are connected. Just like this truth right here that we're looking at in point one, you won't find satisfaction from wealth and prestige. It's going to be connected to the next truth that Solomon has to say. But before we get to that second point, I want you to think about verse 10 a little bit more because here Solomon uses that word vanity again. You remember what this word vanity means? It means emptiness. It's like the cloud of smoke. It's a real thing. It exists. You can see it. But if you reach out to grab it, your hand just goes right through it. And you can't, you can't, you can't hold on and grasp onto it. There's no consistency there. So Solomon is saying, look, you're not going to find lasting satisfaction in your toil. Even, even if it brings wealth and prestige, it's not going to satisfy you. Why is that, you ask? 
I think, I think it'll work out for me. I think it will bring me satisfaction. As a matter of fact, I feel pretty good about it right now. I, I've, I've achieved what I want to achieve, and I feel good in the moment. Well, in case you're doubting this, Solomon is speaking from experience. And in verse 11, he tells you why. Look at verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So when you have more money, you have more problems, right? Do you see that in verse 10? When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So it's almost like, all right, I have more. Now magically out of thin air, there's more people who need this from me. I have more people to serve. I have more to distribute now. I have more, but there's more problems. <laughs> there's more issues that I have to manage. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? You can see this stuff and you still can't actually hold all of it in your hand. You can't control it all. Verse 12, sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. If you put in a good hard day's work, you're going to sleep well. The laborer who put in a hard day work, they're going to sleep. The person who has it all, who's managing the wealth, who's, who's, who's trying to like tie up all these loose ends with all these people who are messing up and doing the things the, the way they don't want them to do it, they're the one who's in charge. The buck is stopping there. They have all this extra wealth, but they don't sleep at night because they have a thousand more problems to deal with and manage that they can't even control fully themselves. Solomon knows what he's talking about. He is speaking from experience here. Verse 13. I'll, I'll stop right there. Um, no, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother womb, mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. More money equals more problems. Now, I think we can all agree with this. But at the same time, I think a lot of us Hear this truth. I understand it. Yes, money won't satisfy. But we're still a little bit like George Bailey in the movie It's a Wonderful Life. If anybody remembers this old movie, uh, you have George Bailey who wishes he had never been born, right? And he takes a plunge into the river, and then his guardian angel, Clarence, saves him out of the river. I know if you haven't seen this movie, you're like, what movie is this? <laughs> like, with that description. Uh, just go watch it sometime. It all makes it more, more, much more sense. But, but the guardian angel in this movie, Clarence, um, is talking to George, and George is figuring out that he doesn't have his life insurance policy, and Zuzu's pedals are not in his pocket, and his money is gone, right? You remember this? He's like, where's my money? What's, what's going on? And, and Clarence is like, well, money, we don't, we don't use money in heaven. And remember, remember George Bailey's response there? Well, it sure comes in handy down here, bub. He's like, I know I don't. I know you don't deal with money. I know money isn't the be-all, end-all. I know money isn't going to satisfy, but I could sure use a little of it down here. All right? Just, just let me have some of that because I need it. I know we all need it. We have to have some of this. And as alluring as it may sound to you to go off the grid, live a much more simple lifestyle, you know, plant a garden, you know, you know not have to pay your electric bill, like, all, you know, an air conditioning bill, like just live off the land in a simpler time. And I, I know some of you have thought that, like that sounds very appealing. We can't do that completely. We need money. We have to learn how to manage money and it's a part of life. You can use your money to be a blessing to others and provide for others, or it can go terribly wrong and you can, you can use it on yourself and it won't, it won't buy you what you thought it would when you're greedy with it. But look down at chapter 6 with me, and we're going to read the, the first nine verses here uh, because 
there's more of a harsh reality with money that Solomon has to talk about, even on top of what he just said in verse 17. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Wow. Do you see that? What an what a intense, somber illustration that Solomon just gave us. Verse 4. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do, no, do not all go to one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied." For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is also a vanity and striving after wind. So here it is again, the harsh reality of wealth and prestige. It will not bring you any lasting satisfaction. If you, if you doubted it at all and you still had an inkling of maybe it'll work for me, I hope those nine verses shut the door for you and put an exclamation point on it. Money can bring you physical comfort, but it can't ease the torments of your soul. Money can extend your physical life. It can even enhance your physical beauty but it can do nothing for your inner soul or your inner heart, your, your inner self. It cannot warm a cold heart because money is cold and impersonal. Money is stiff and it's fleeting and it simply cannot meet your emotional needs. It cannot satisfy you because it can't satisfy your soul. It can give you a pleasure. It can give you a comfort that lasts for a season, but it doesn't affect you on the inside and resonate with your soul. You may think it can, and you can go for it, and you can try it like millions of other people have, and the, and the stories are endless. They have everything they ever wanted, but they're still full of angst, and they're still not satisfied. They have it all, but internally they are still restless. They got everything they wanted, but they're more frustrated than ever. And for some reason, they don't even have the ability to enjoy it all. And here's another thing that irks people. You can't take any of it with you. One day a stranger is going to enjoy what you worked for. Naked you came into this world and naked you shall return. But the title of our message today is to be satisfied with or without. And now that Solomon has firmly established this first point, I read all of the negative verses already. I got all of those out of the way for you, okay? You won't find satisfaction in wealth and prestige. It's now time for part two, the other half. And this is the truth. This is that side that is not as clear for people. Because you've heard this first point in church probably your whole life. As long as you've been in church, you've probably heard something like this from the pulpit, right? Here's the other piece that is not as easily understood. It's not as clear for a lot of people. Point number two, you can find enjoyment in your toil. You can find enjoyment in your toil. Look back at chapter 5, verse 18 with me. I skipped these verses for this very reason. I'm saving the, the best for the second half of this message. But verse 18 says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. 
For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Aren't those good verses? Rejoice in your toil. This is the gift of God. How many of you think of your job that way? You don't have to raise your hand right now, but just answer that question. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe your toil is something else. Maybe it's with a group of people. Maybe it's with the family. Like Whatever your toil is, whatever you're busy about with your life, how many of you think of those mundane house cleaning tasks with joy and think this is, this is something that God has given me to find enjoyment. I really want to dive into this because this can almost come across as incongruent. You can't find satisfaction through your toil, but you can find enjoyment in your toil? Really? Can we really have both of those things? Notice that satisfaction which is what Solomon talks about not bringing you not bringing you the pleasure, right? Like that he talks about that first. Satisfaction is not the exact same thing as enjoyment, right? Those are different. Now, Solomon doesn't even tell you how in the verses that I just read. He just tells you to find it. He says, "Find enjoyment." So that means that it's possible He's implying that this can be done. And more than likely, there are probably two types of people in the room right now. Those of you who would say, you know what? I just absolutely love my job. I have found something that I'm passionate about. Passionate about. I love it. Um, it doesn't even feel like labor to me. It's just an extension of my personality and my character. I'm fulfilling all my dreams and goals and desires are found and they're all wrapped up in my job and it's, and it's amazing. I love my job. If that's you, praise God. I'm so thankful that that's you and that's incredible. Like to some extent, I would say that's, I love my job. I'm finding fulfillment and enjoyment in my job right now as a pastor of this church. I love it. And I think a lot of you would say, yeah, I, I actually am finding joy in my job. Great. Then there's the rest of us in the room who are thinking, all right, here we go. I'm going to probably have to resign next week and, uh, and just get a new job because I'm not finding joy in my toil. Uh, as a matter of fact, my, my superior, my manager is a knucklehead and I could run circles around her if I just had her job. And my coworkers are Nut jobs. Um, I, I, what's wrong with them? You know, like I, I, can't, I can't get a break. I'm surrounded by all these people and I have to please my customers and these people are being ridiculous and I just punch in, punch out. I just try to get to the weekends and, and enjoy the rest of my life because I cannot enjoy it when I punch in. I can't enjoy anything until I punch out. It reminds me of that song, Hey Julie. <laughs> Look what they're doing to me, trying to trip me up, trying to drag me down. And even if anyone remembers that one from Welcome Interstate Managers. But here's the truth. Neither one of those positions is complete reality. If you start thinking about both of those extremes that I just mentioned, you probably fall somewhere in between. You may think you're in one or the other. But even if you have the dream job that this is the job where I am actually passionate about it, I love it, it's so great, it's everything I ever wanted to do. Let's be real, step back. Are there things in that job that are frustrating and challenging and not that great? Of course, <laughs> there absolutely is. Life under this, under this sun even if you have a job you're passionate about, you're going to have things in that job that absolutely irk you, and you're going to have dark days in that job. If you're in that job that just is awful, it's a drag, it's a drain, it's killing me, it's not providing any joy at all, you know what? It doesn't have to be that bad. 
There can be great things that come even from that job. There is middle ground. Um, I love being a pastor. I love shepherding this flock, getting to know you, preaching, studying God's word. But of course, there's parts of my job that I don't enjoy. There's parts of my job that are very challenging. I'm passionate about it, but I, but I don't enjoy every single detail. No one loves everything about their toil. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a student, I'm sure you love your kids. I'm sure you love learning things and you, you have a goal of where you want to get to. But no one enjoys every component of their day. And you may be thinking, sure, but I still, I still uh, overall think it's good. That's the way it should be. But here's why I'm saying all this. For those of you in the room who don't find joy in your current situation, you need to be reminded that no job is perfect. Even the people who have the job that they're passionate about don't love everything about it. All jobs have challenges and at periods of time are laborious. But that's part of the beauty of every job is being challenged, overcoming something, planning ahead, solving problems, achieving something, having success, getting a win, that's enjoyable. And if you can take a really crummy job at the very bottom and you can rise above that and you can actually help other people, even in the midst of a terrible situation, have, have a paycheck and provide and actually learn something and actually get mentally stronger, what is that? That's a huge win. That's, that's a success. You can find enjoyment in that. You're never going to be fully satisfied in any, any toil. Because satisfaction comes from our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. It doesn't come from achieving success or getting money in our pocket. That does not bring satisfaction. Satisfaction comes from relationships with God and with others. And where do you have most of your relationships? In your toil. No matter what the job is, you are, you are going to have some relationships with that job. You're going to rub shoulders with people that you can impact with the love of God. So let me get personal with you for a minute. This is, this is not directly found in the text, but the more I prayed over this passage, the more I, strong, I felt strongly about just going here because this is so easily misunderstood. A lot of men and women don't find enjoyment in their work and they actually gut it out. They grin and bear it because, you know, I'm not here to find enjoyment in it. I'm just trying to get through it. And I'm trying to just move on to a greener pasture somewhere else. And effectively, they haven't even given it a chance to find enjoyment in that position where they're at because it's not where they think they need to be. And there's a bunch of people who never even get close to something that they are passionate about because you were waiting for that perfect job that you were passionate about to just fall into your lap. So you're in this job and then this job and then this job and you bounce around all over the place, never satisfied, never even hinting at enjoyment because you're just trying to get to that one place where you will be content and you'll be passionate about it. And remember what I said, every job, every single job has tough elements. Not every piece of every job is going to be enjoyable. But if, if that's you today and you are waiting for something to fall in love with and you're just holding out for the perfect job or that, or that perfect place in life where all your kids are comfortable and happy and your house is perfect and you have the perfect amount of free time and the perfect positional notoriety, like if you're just waiting for that to happen, you're completely missing it. You don't fall in love with things unless you are good at them. And you don't get good at something until you fail at it first. Did you hear that? Again, this is an application from the text. And we're really, we're going somewhere that, that Solomon hasn't directly talked about. But he said, find enjoyment in it. 
And a lot of us can read that and say, uh, okay, should I just switch jobs? So I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to help you work this out. How can you be in a place of toil that just doesn't feel great? It's not where I want to be. I'm not even hardly passionate about this. I mean, look what I'm doing. This is so trivial. On the surface, yeah, maybe. But you're missing all the relationships that are, that are involved with it. You're missing all the opportunities that are going along with it. And you don't fall in love with things until you're good at them first. And you're never going to be good at something until you fail at it a few times and mess up. And then you improve and you get better. So here's the reality. No one finds their passion by having it fall in their lap. You create your passion by working hard at something and getting successful with it. And then all of a sudden, you really worked really hard in this one position. And you know what? That opened up another door. And now you're in another position. It's still not where you want to be. It's still not what you were your dream job. But you made the best of it. You took advantage of the opportunities that it lended, lended to you and the relationships that it provided. You, you worked hard. You learned from that. God opened another door. Before you know it, you find something that you're passionate about, and you weren't even passionate about it to begin with. A lot of people think, I have to, I have to figure out what I will enjoy. And, and, they're, and they're in college, or they're bouncing around from job to job, and they're like, I don't know what, I, I don't know what I'll enjoy. And they have no idea that, you know what, you could have actually really enjoyed real estate. <laughs> or you could have really enjoyed banking. Or you could have really enjoyed fill in the blank because you got good at it and you actually achieved something with it and you blessed other people with it. You did what God created you to do, right? To use your energy, your gifts and abilities to be a blessing for someone else. And even though when you were in seventh grade, you could have never seen yourself there, you never imagined in a million years that like, you know, putting up fences or like working on engineering diagrams would like bring you enjoyment. But you're actually providing something that is a benefit to society. It's providing for your family. And now you enjoy it because you're good at it. And it's, and it's a part of life. It's fun. It's great. Just like there's no perfect partner, we all accept that. We all know that, right? There's no perfect spouse out there. So many times we miss, it's just as true with this. There's no perfect job. Of course not. We know everyone has flaws. There's also no perfect career. There's no perfect house. There's no perfect children. Everything has elements you don't like. And even with your toil, part of the journey, just like everything in life, is overcoming obstacles and ma mastering something that was challenging. And you can do that with anything. And that will bring you joy. Are y'all seeing that? Can you nod with me if you're following on this? Yeah. Have you ever seen a moth trying to emerge out of its cocoon? Anybody ever seen that, like in science class in like sixth grade? Um, maybe you saw the video of that. I, I, I vaguely remember that, okay. Uh, but but there's, been, there's been studies done on this where, where you'll see a moth and, and they have this little slit in the cocoon, right? And, and people have... People have experimented this. Scientists do this kind of stuff, right? They'll actually cut that slit a little bit, like make it a little easier for the moth to emerge. So just like crack open that slit a little bit more. Just help him a little bit. Help that moth emerge so he can get out and live his life. And oh, we're such a good person because, because we made it easier for them and, we, and we, we opened up the slit, right? And now that moth emerges because you helped it. And that moth has a really swollen abdomen and really tiny itty bitty wings. And if you do that to the moth, if you help it along, emerge from its cocoon prematurely because you were trying to be a good person, that moth will never fly. It will never fly. It's gonna be handicapped for the rest of its life. Because God has designed that moth in a way where the only way it gets fluid in its wings and its wings get strong enough to fly is it has to work through the whole process of emerging itself out of the cocoon. And so when it labors and toils strenuously, the fluid in the abdomen pushes out into the wings 
and eventually that moth is strong enough to fly on its own. And I think you know where I'm going with this, right? It's pretty obvious, right? And this isn't just a parenting illustration. It can be. But this is for all of us in your place of toil. When you have to work hard at something, it will make you stronger. If someone just makes it easy for you, guess what? You're not going to find, not even enjoyment, you're definitely not going to find satisfaction. It's not going to be what you thought it would be. God puts you in a situation to work hard and to figure it out and to actually make the best of a bad situation. He does that because he loves you and he knows that's how you're going to get stronger. That's how you're going to enjoy the rest of your life because you're going to overcome obstacles. Whether that's in the classroom right now, whether that's, you know, in a social environment where you're trying to, you know, figure out how to work well with other people your age, whether that's in a work environment, whether that's in a home or a family. We have to deal with adversity and struggles. They are going to come because they are essential for growth. And, I mean, I talked about, you know, all the different jobs I had as a kid, right? I I look back at it. I I can see how God gave me desire to build things, to to lead people. Like I I mentioned, even as a high school kid, right? I, I mentioned the silly example of the fantasy football. Like, I did all those kind of things as a kid. And I thought I wanted to start a, start a business, you know? And then I, got, I was like, oh, no, God wants me to be a pastor. Okay, I'll do that. Do you realize so many things? When I look back at my life, I see, well, wait, I got hired at the golf course. Um, and I, I, that was a cool job, but I didn't mow, mow any grass, right? I just did everything else. I cleaned clean the golf carts that had beer spilled all over them, right? And I drove the range picker upper out there and got as people aimed their golf balls at me. And like I had a fun job. It was a great job. But that job actually led to getting hired at McLean Midwest because they looked at my resume. And I still remember this. Uh, the guy was like, oh, you worked at a golf course. Great. And he automatically assumed that I knew how to mow grass because I worked at a golf course. <laughs> And I just didn't say anything. I was like, yeah, I worked, I worked at the golf course. He's like, okay, we're going to hire you. And they, they hired me because they thought I knew how to mow grass. I didn't learn that from the golf course job. I actually learned that from working on the farm when I was, you know, mowing grass out there and, and baling hay and swinging an axe. Like, I got all those experiences from that other job. God, God, God will do things in your jobs. You will pick up skills along the way that you never thought you would even use. And the golf course led to one thing. It, all these, all these jobs added up. But here I am. Now I'm in this place where I never wanted to plant a church. That was the last thing. I, I wanted just to go to a good church and, and be a youth pastor. That's what my, my small goal was when I was in college. Just be a youth pastor. That sounds fun, right? And I'm serving God. That'll be great. Little did I know, I, I would go to a church in Colorado, and I would have to start using all those skills that I wanted to use to start a business as a high schooler, I'm using those same skills even today, right? So God uses all of those jobs that you have in your life to build you and prepare you for what he has next for you. But the perfect job will never just fall into your lap. They don't just appear. And I had to wait a long time to even find a church, to even get hired by a church because I finished seminary and I was still single and no one wanted to hire a single youth pastor, right? So I had to, I had to go to God and, I, and I, I had to wait a long time before I found my wife. And I, I had many days where I was just asking God, why, why? I want to do a good thing here, Lord. Why, why do I have to wait so long for it? What's going on? Is this ever even going to happen? And the Lord gave me the desires and he built up stamina and mental endurance in me in those hard times to prepare me to be a better husband and to be a better pastor. There's a bunch of guys who walked into, I look at my class in the the Bible college that I went to, they, they walked directly into the gravy job that you wanted, a youth pastor at a really big church that has a nice salary. I'm over here working at Starbucks at 4.30 in the morning, right? And, and not being paid full-time, but still working full-time. I look at all those other guys, almost all of them are no longer even in the ministry. 
They, they graduated from seminary. They got the job they wanted. And then it all fizzled out. I'm not trying to like brag. I'm just saying like God showed grace to me. He didn't give me what I wanted immediately. I had to work really hard and I had to like question what's going on. What do I even really need to do? It built up a desire in me to serve the Lord and not just live for myself. Not just gain the job that I wanted for me, but to make church about him, not about our platform or our prestige or our position, right? The same principle applies to you in your place of toil. The exact same thing. Here we are as a church right now. We're five years old. Praise God, we've made, we've made it this far and we have so much further to go. I'm so excited about what God is gonna do in the future of this church. We're in a place right now that's not easy because we, we're not in a full location, right? We're not in our permanent location. We don't have roots yet. We're, we're still here in a temporary location, and we're really thankful for Northgate. It's, a, it's God's blessing that we're here in Northgate, but God is teaching us things in this period of time. This is a period of time that is a challenge. It's a tough transition. I don't love it, to be honest with you. I want to do more for, the, for eternity in the kingdom, and I want to invest in this community, right? I want to do more. There's so many things that I want to do through our church that I feel like we're handicapped right now. So what is God teaching us right now? Well, let's get more serious about prayer. That's one. Let's get more intentional with reaching out into the community, not just being comfortable like a thousand other churches out there are. They go to church. They're warmed and filled. Good music, good sermon. I go on about my week. We can't be a church like that. We got to get hungry for what does God want us to do in this community because we should be a, a, a city on a hill, okay, with a bright light shining, the good news of the gospel, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And that means to fulfill the Great Commission, that means we're making disciples. We're pouring into one another. We're reaching out to those who are hungry and thirsty who need Jesus. You find your satisfaction in your relationship with God and the people that he has put into your life. You're never going to find complete satisfaction in your job. Every single job, every single toil, position that you could be in has its own flaws. But you can find joy in the midst of it all. Even if it's a hard job, you have to start somewhere. And when I look back at my life, I see every single one of those grunt labor jobs, like, I didn't, I didn't like bail hay for enjoyment's sake, right? But I look back at it now, you know, like that was good for me. It made me stronger, like mentally, like just so many good things came from that job. It's the same thing for all of you in this room today. If you're in a bad situation right now and it seems like you're in a dead end job, the people around you are horrible, and the doors don't seem to be opening. I've been there. Trust me, God is preparing you something that's just absolutely going to be great. I believe that. If you take what Solomon is saying to heart, and you find enjoyment, notice we've talked a lot about it. I hope I've helped you with this. But it, at the end of the day, it literally comes down to this. You have to find enjoyment in your toil. You have to do it. I, I just talked a lot about how you can and how you can get there and what it could do. But at the end of the day, if you still have a bad attitude that this job is just going nowhere and I just have to find something else and this is, this is just rot, you're completely missing your opportunity and you're completely wasting your time. You don't just walk into your passion. The passion finds you when you put in the work and you get stronger. Worship team, you can come up. Look at verse 19 one more time with me as we close, as the worship team is coming up. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. 
for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. You won't find satisfaction in wealth and prestige, but you can find enjoyment in your toil. Even when your hours are long, they don't feel rewarding. You can find enjoyment. You can do it for the right reasons. And if you're doing it for the right reasons, with the right motivation, for the glory of God, you will find enjoyment and you'll have joy. Don't do it to become rich. That is going to end in bitterness and in misery. It's not going to satisfy. Do it for the glory of God. Do it out of love for others. And do it to shine the light of Jesus Christ. And if you're doing that job that you have, that toil that you have, that monotonous, mundane routine that is your life right now, and you open that up and say, you know what, I am going to do this for God's glory. I'm going to do this for Jesus. I'm going to be a bright and shining light, and I'm going to make someone else's day better. And by extension, that is going to actually improve the quality of their life. And I'm going to point them to eternity. I'm going to get them thinking about the love of Jesus Christ that's changed me by just simply my attitude in this horrific environment. I mean, when the environment's really bad, right, when it's really, really dark, just a little dim light shines very, very bright in that place. I've been there. All that hard work, if you do it for God's glory, you're going to see it pay off. And you're going to find enjoyment. And you know what? All those long hours in those days that were just like a headache, you don't remember that stuff. You, you, you don't even really think about that. It's all a blur. And what comes out of that is, you know what? By God's grace and by God's strength, I overcame that. And I actually achieved something that was so much bigger than just that little menial task. And I have a relationship with this person now. And this person actually knows God now. Think about how much joy that will bring. Will you stand up with me, church? When we toil for God's glory, you win and everyone else around you wins. any questions about the topic of this sermon or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church you are loved